0: Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the writer strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight.
1: Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide.
0: And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDB Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy.
1: You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day.
0: Get your project started today. Today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard.
1: Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi.
0: I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently really focusing on the next one, which is a horror comedy called Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome writer-director Gatto Satian on the show to talk about making his second feature film, Space Wars, Quest for the Deep Star. I feel like you have to say it in that tone. He also talks about how he raised the budget for the film. And I'll and him, get into a little bit of a current climate of franchises discussion and they have some nerd debates <laughs> so after that auric and i play another round of the game but first before we get into all that auric how are you doing
1: yeah i'm doing okay i guess <laughs> been having a, lots of thoughts and emotions lately as i always do as as a human but yeah yeah you know we had a talk with bomani j story yesterday which was really fun and you know this guy basically had all the dreams come true, you know, like first feature funded by a big production company, you know, premiered at South by Southwest, you know, getting a theatrical release. It's like all the things, you know,
0: has a manager. Yeah.
1: Has a manager, (laughs) had a manager before that, you know, which I think is like more is like, okay, well, you know, is is that the key to all this madness? Do I just need to find a manager somehow? No, but like, it doesn't seem like it is, but maybe
0: it is. No. Nope.
1: Yeah. And just, but then also just like his uncertainty of his future, you know, and just like, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, am I going to get to make another movie? Like, you know, whatever. Like, is this, you know, that it looks like it's going to be good, but, you know, it just like, it just goes back to the same feeling that we all have of this, like, completely... Like, I have no idea what's going on, like what what's going to happen. It's all completely out of my control. That's like a feeling that everyone shares throughout the whole business. I think even at the top level to some degree. So it's just like, I don't know, feels comforting, but also confusing and then you'd written something in an email i don't know if we should talk about this but i'm going to talk about it we can cut it later (laughs) but like with clinton cornwall a listener of the show and like you know he's doing some kind of creative coaching and there was some some sentence you wrote about like how you're focusing on the journey and not the outcome yeah and i feel like we've talked about this a lot but i think that that is something that I keep on coming back to is like, okay, well don't worry about the outcome because the outcome is completely out of your control. I mean, I think in some ways the outcome of the movie you have some control over, but to to a degree you also don't really have much control over that. So really it's the process of making it. It's the process of coming up with these ideas, telling these stories, getting them made. It's like that's the thing that you should be like in love with and like focusing on. Which like, you know, I've been writing lately. I actually wrote some this last Yay. week, which was great had like two or three writing sessions where I got some stuff down and it felt really good, even if it was small, to like start like getting the gears on the story going again. And, you know, I remember in the beginning of the year and the end of last year, like I wanted to have this script written by like the end of May was my thought. Like I could write a a script in six months or half a script because it's like already half written. I can write half a script in six months and like here I am almost at the same place I was before But I feel like, again, it's like thinking about the journey. It's like, well, don't worry about, like, how fast you write it or when you get it done or when it's complete or whatever. Just, like, enjoy writing it and, like, put the time in to do it. And that'll be fun, too. And if that takes you another six months or another five years, it's that journey that you should enjoy and not worry about, like, whether or not you know, what's going to happen to this movie. Yeah. So yeah, lots of internal workings going on. What, what, have you, what have you been up to, Liz?
0: Very similar thought process. Like, I've come to the realization, I've come to it before, but it's a constant realization that I'm just like, really mean to myself. And like, that needs to end. And so I'm trying to adjust certain aspects of my life so that I don't go into masochistic tendencies. So one of those is just like you were talking about. It's like process over outcome. It's really trying to enjoy the making of the film. The second thing is social media.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's creating limits on social media. I, I was noticing the past few weeks that like when I have dead air in my day or when I'm not immediately in the midst of a task – my fingers will just automatically go command T and then F for Facebook or then command T and then TW mm. for, for new tab and Twitter, right? And like, it doesn't help. There's no benefit in that moment to fill that silence with scrolling social media. It just makes me feel bad. Like it never makes me feel good and I need to stop. So what I'm doing is I'm setting limits for my social media for myself on social media, I'm gonna only check it. Right now my plan is between the hours of six and eight PM. We'll nice. see. And I think and I'm already feeling much better today doing that. And I've also been able to enjoy the podcast a lot more because I stepped away from doing social media from the podcast a few weeks ago. And the amazing California Jones stepped into mm-hmm. the role. And, like, it's really fun to see how many people have joined our Patreon, how many people are engaging with us on social media, how many people are emailing the podcast, how many people want to be on the show. Like, it's really nice to not see things, to see the force from the trees a little bit mm-hmm. more right now. So I think you and I are in this, like, weird Evaluation period. But I do want to say, you know, in the midst of this writer's strike, a lot of us are confused. We're lost. We're unsure of how our career is going to go. We're unsure of how our career is going to be affected. But if you make movies not relying, on the system but you make them with a direct relationship with your audience you feel a little bit less scared I think because you can create your own pathway and you don't have to be so reliant on the system choosing you which is my soapbox that I will bring up every single episode but I just want to acknowledge that like this is the time this is the time to work outside of the system and to compensate people appropriately and to not just constantly wait for gatekeepers to say yes to you right
1: yeah yeah, I love that message, by the way. I think it's fantastic. I just wonder, like it keeps on coming back to me about the gatekeepers is like that's that the gatekeepers seem like they're the road to financial, like financial right. gain of but, any kind or or any sort of job as doing the arts that we love. Right. Yes.
0: You have to you have to find solace in, in not being paid by this industry, if you want to go my pathway, right? <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> like I have a job that the industry pays me indirectly, but it's not as a director, and so it's not tied directly to my efforts right. as a filmmaker. And I know you do too. And but if your goals are to be paid. As a working director, don't take my advice. Wait, <laughs> buy your time, play the game, you know? But but I, I, I just don't have the patience for it. And I really want to just like stop comparing and despairing. Stop looking at social media. Stop feeling sorry for myself if I'm not as far as I want to be in my career. And really just be in the meaty, juicy, deliciousness of the creative process. And I think the key to that. Is to cut out the noise, so I'm trying to cut out the noise, and we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I love that's great. Yeah, and I mean, and I, I feel like you know what I've said a lot of times before is like just making the movies is what's important. It's not the yes. other stuff, and I feel like that's really truly what I believe. And I I do think that like if you make movies that you're you are that are true to you. And that you put love and care into it, and that you make them based off of like what you want to see on the screen and like telling the stories that are important to you, that really matter, that really dig into you and that like you really care about. And you don't chase other things then, you know, you might have it, you might, you might make it to the other side at some point anyways, you know, yeah. like you, you may come around, you know, to, to the money, you know, the, the side where you actually get paid to do what you love.
0: Whatever the other side is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Whatever this other side that we're, we're not clearly not on the side of whatever that side is, like you might make it there. So I feel like, and and I think that like, to me, that's, the beautiful, comforting thing that actually just made me feel a lot better right now.
0: Oh good. Just saying that out loud. We're yeah. getting there. We're getting, We're getting there. there. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of this is due to feeling a community from the podcast. So we wanted to thank latest Patreon supporters, Kareem Marabti. Kareem, I really hope I'm saying your name right. If not, you come in, you like chastise us, you send us a voicemail, you you send us a uh, an awkward email. Thank you so much. Happy birthday. That's what we say for new Patreon supporters. Thank you for your support of the show. And we want to also Happy want to birthday
1: Kareem. Happy birthday Kareem.
0: Ah, woo. Uh, <laughs> Kareem went to patreon.com/mmih podcast to give to give to keep the show running and also melinda bryce of mk bryce fame did the same thing she joined our patreon squad thank you very much melinda happy birthday melinda happy birthday! Woo! melinda sent, sent us a little message so i'm gonna we're gonna excerpt the message and she says i'm happy to support the show i listen to it more than i watch most of the streaming services i pay for so it makes sense to me to help keep you guys going i don't want to think about my drive time without you side note melinda that was very sweet of you thank you very sweet yes (laughs) we want to also Shout out her a little bit in that she's a screenwriter. She has an LGBTQ plus holiday film called A Holiday I Do, starring Rivka Rays, Marsha Warfield, and Jill Larson. It's in post. It's they're shooting for a Christmas 2023 release. She co-wrote a single location psychological thriller called Delirium with writer Matthew Santia. That film is being produced by Tessa Hawks. It's slated to shoot this summer in Detroit. Melinda, you're on a roll. You can find Melinda at Melinda underscore Bryce. She's also on Twitter, but rarely tweets. Good for you, Melinda. That's where I want to be. So, and she ends with, thanks for everything you do for the film communities all over the country. We appreciate your insight, maybe more than you realize. Okay, Melinda, you wow. rock, but also Kareem, like we're happy to give you a longer shout out too, just to keep things congruent. So let us know I, a little I bit about you. I asked Kareem,
1: I, you know, haven't heard back. Maybe my email went to, to their junk mail, but now that they're hearing their name on the podcast, maybe <laughs> Kareem will, will jump in with something so we can read it on a future episode. So do it, yeah. Kareem, do it.
0: Finally, don't forget to check out Jambox.io, which is our sponsor. They're a royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, global brands like DJI. They offer customized plans to fit your needs. Check them out, Jambox.io. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Gato Satyan.
1: We're here with Gato Sedian, director and writer of Space Wars Quest for the Deep Star. Gato, can you give us the elevator pitch for Space Wars?
2: Yeah, the elevator pitch is we, well, uh, first of all, it's Joe Netter who wrote the screenplay, who's an amazing oh, writer. No, no problem. Him and I developed this story together. And I basically just wanted to make sort of a, like a Ray Harryhausen movie in outer space, something where you travel to different planets and have monsters and space battles and fist fights and all of that kind of stuff. You know, when Star Wars came out, in the aftermath, there were all these people would dismiss them as Star Wars ripoffs. But to me, they were just new adventures in different universes. It's kind of like, you know, calling Battle Beyond the Stars a ripoff of Star Wars is kind of like saying the searchers is a ripoff of Red River. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, yes, there's there's tropes, there's cowboys, and there's guns, you know, and those Westerns, but does that mean it's a ripoff of the other Western? These are yeah. genre staples. I mean, these things have been around since Flash Gordon and, you know, Buck Rogers and all of that. So I just always appreciated seeing new things, you know, something that wasn't the same. And, and I love my franchises, don't get me wrong, although, you know, we could get into a long conversation about Star Wars and where it is currently. So I I... <laughs> I just wanted to make something that was fun, that didn't have an agenda, that wasn't going to make half the country feel like they can't watch it. Just something for everybody. That's just good entertainment and brings you back to the magic of the movies. Just pure escapism. Something that mm-hmm. is just purely fun and not smashing people over the head and telling them you, they hate them. You know?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it can be difficult going to the movies sometimes because it's you wonder. It's like, are we here to entertain or are we are we pushing a platform?
2: Yeah, and and it's it's strange because. You know and again I, I, this is not about what i personally think politically or anything like that that's not where i'm going with this what, what i'm trying to say is you know it used to be that people could go to the movies and you could be different politically and you can just enjoy the movie together because we all have a, a shared common reality of what you know what is good what is evil and you know there, there's very broad and simple things that are primal that anyone can get into and It just seems lately a lot of things have been injected with this additional material that I think, you know... It's just, it gets very divisive when it doesn't need to be. And, you know, I think things that bring our common humanity together are much more important than trying to bash people over the head with some kind of agenda.
3: Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, that one of our questions is what was the origin of the idea? And I guess that is a little bit of it right there. But I mean, talk a little bit more. So uh, how did you end up, you and your writer, how did you guys end up coming to the script? So, so
2: basically I did a movie called Called Automation. Jeff Miller, who's a wonderful guy and producer, he actually read the script to Automation a while back at a different company that was actually looking at potentially doing this movie. This is again Automation, my previous sci-fi thriller, and it turned out I wasn't going to be able to do it with that company because the budget just wasn't quite what it needed to be. So I ended up doing it a different way, and I got the film done and it got out there. And Jeff loved the movie. He thought, "Hey, I remember reading the script, thinking it's going to be impossible to get done and all that, and holy." How you did it, you know? And he, he also knew me as a trailer editor. I, I cut movie trailers for all sorts of different companies and stuff. And he came to me, he he had done a few Robert Bronzy movies. He's basically the guy who discovered Robert Bronzy, the Charles Bronson lookalike guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he made a few action movies. And I did a trailer for him for a movie called The Gardener, you know? And I remember I came up with the, the heading, uh, he will mow you down, you know? <laughs> something like, prepare to be mowed down, something like that. That was what it was. So I did that trailer and we were talking, he says, boy, I'd really like to do a science fiction movie. Now, previous to automation, I spent four years writing sort of my dream science fiction movie. You know, I tried to basically put something together that had everything I wanted in it. And so I gave him my masterpiece screenplay and he really liked it, but it was definitely more ambitious and bigger than maybe what he had in mind. So he's like, you know, can you do something with maybe some monsters and all that kind of stuff? So that got me thinking more to go back to the kind of films that I grew up and, you know loving, like. The Ray Harryhausen Sinbad movies, these quest movies. I liked films like Kroll and Space Hunter Adventures in the <laughs> Forbidden Zone. And, you know, again, Battle Beyond the Stars, Star Crash, even. I, I, I like films that just take you to other worlds and, you know, we go to different places. Di- you know, in a Sinbad movie, it's different islands and there's different monsters on them. In this mm-hmm. movie, it's different planets and there's different monsters on them. Again, you know, like Star Crash and these other crazy movies. So I just wanted to make something like that. And I had, I, I, I already kind of had a rough outline I was working on and i really a lot of it was about the action scenes you know if you ever you know whenever people talk about these popcorn movies that we grow up loving they'll talk about you know the story and how important the story is and stuff and and again story is important i'm not downplaying it so please you know understand where i'm coming from on this but what people don't realize is a lot of the things that make those movies special is the development of the action sequences. Because that's the thing you remember the most. And, yeah. you know, if you look back on, like, the work of Ray Harryhausen, he started with paintings. You know, it's like, here here's going to be a six-armed statue, or here's going to be this big creature here. You know, he was visualizing these cool things. Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom all of that stuff like the minecart chase the fight on the air you know they were thinking about these things then they kind of strung it together and came up with the storyline that to, to to make it all work i mean and you look at any of the first 6 star wars movies each one constantly is visually reinventing itself they'll do you know, uh, a certain kind of there'll be spectacle sequences, and, and they're literally contained, designed sequences. Whether it's Phantom Menace, you have the sort of chariot chase, or mm-hmm. the, the trench chase in the original Star Wars, or the the arena scene in Attack of the Clones, and, and there's always a sense of visual reinvention to all this. So, you know, my thinking was I, I had already developed a couple action sequences. I don't want to give everything away, but you know, like for instance, I had an idea about a fist fight in front of a cave while a monster's trying to eat some people and intercutting it with another fist fight in the back of a spaceship while another spaceship is attacking that spaceship and you're going to be <laughs> intercutting between these three sequences. And I knew the whole movie kind of had to lead up to that sort of climactic sequence. And we also had other ideas for like an asteroid chase and at, towards the end of the development of the script we came up with this crazy beginning that you'll see. So really a lot of it was developing these sequences in which we could kind of string together our adventure. What Joe mm-hmm. did, the you know, so I brought Joe Owen, as a writer, he came up with sort of the heart of the story, which in this movie, it's about a father and his daughter. It was always a father and daughter, but in this story, they're trying to bring their mom back. He created this idea where in this future world, you could extract someone's essence when they die and it stays as like this blue liquid, and then you can have that person re-uploaded into a cybernetic sort of body that's a combination of cyborg and flesh, you know? And, And then the person can live forever. If you're rich enough, you can do that. That's the idea. So the whole movie is about this father and daughter on a quest to bring the mom back. And they end up coming in contact with this woman, Jackie, who was working with these bad guys to try and find this mysterious lost freighter, which has supposedly untold riches in it. And they decide to go with her to find the riches, but the people she was originally working for who were bad guys are chasing after them. So it's basically a race to get to this thing. And And meanwhile, there's another bad guy played by Sadie Katz in this movie, Elnora, who's also after Kip and Taylor. So it has that really filled with incident sort of adventure movie feel to it with a mm-hmm. lot of characters chasing after things.
1: So keeping in mind all the things you described that's in one indie movie, how many days did you shoot to make this all happen? <laughs> You'll be surprised. We
2: we did we did this movie in nine days. And then we, yeah, nine days on the sets. There's a little more then two days of exterior shooting. So it was 11 days plus one day of pickups. So nine days. Well,
3: yeah. That is still really impressive. That's a fast, fast turnaround.
2: Yeah. Well, it was designed that way too. I mean, you know, Joe Netter's also a producer on the movie with me. And like, we really set out to, you know, figure out our schedule, how we would do all this. And basically all the sets were filmed at my uncle's business office. (laughs) He had a really big garage. So we were able to build the spaceship interior. And then there Ah. were two other areas there, which became our other sort of stages. And we would roll out all the scenes in one spaceship, then move move to the next set, you know, and while we were filming on that set, our production designer, Anthony Pierce, and his team redesigned the other spaceship set to turn it into another spaceship set. Wow. um, Yeah, it was crazy. And then we had evil Ted Smith, who's a a brilliant, brilliant foam fabricator. And he built all these incredible like sci-fi props, like chairs and light panels and, you know, all the kind of things that you really need to create your environments for a movie like this. And we had guns. Wow. and and you know slazons and all these different you know tools that they would use in the future. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was nuts. And you know everything was really intricately planned so that we can actually accomplish this in the amount of time that we had.
3: Yeah, you. I mean, for for everything that you have, and I mean, it sounds like you were you were really squeezing everything out of every dollar as much as you could. But if you're allowed to talk about it, can you talk about the budget at all? Like at least what the rough budget was. And I know sometimes you got to be a little bit guarded about that. We totally were that. But if yeah. any any kind of transparency would be great for the listeners.
2: Well, I, I showed it to a few, you know, people on the distribution and, you know, uh, you know, friends and stuff. And they they thought I spent half a million dollars or a million dollars oh. on this movie, which we did not. <laughs> we did <laughs> not you know, so I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, you can do a lot, but definitely our budget. I mean, almost half the budget was the special effects. Sure. So I, I was really prepared for that aspect of this movie. You know, I knew, you know, we were going to have to spend the money on that. And again, it's not—it's not big money in terms of uh, a big Hollywood production. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This is more like buying a car. You know what I mean? A really, <laughs> nice, you know. But but it, you know, it's like we had we had one major special effects team, Steve Clark and Paul Not. They they work in England and they do a lot of low budget independent sci-fi movies and they're fantastic. I mean, uh, Steve is a brilliant animator. I mean, he brought all the creatures to life and gave them personality and made them interesting. And he also did all the spaceships and the spaceships have weight and really, they really feel good in this movie. So, I mean, look, we're, we're never going to be able to compete with the highest end ILM special effects, but we did a pretty good job with what we had. And basically, you know, they handled all the real flashy stuff. Then we also had a lot of green screen, a lot of windows on our space Computer monitors and things. So I employed several other effects artists for those things, you know. But Mm -hmm. that was all, I mean, I I, see part of the reason I was able to also do this as inexpensively as I was able to is I'm an editor. That's my main job. So I basically lived with this movie for like another year after I shot it, editing it, refining it, you know, building out the action scenes using storyboards and, you know. Talk, you know, coordinating with the effects guys and bringing in the things. I also, I also did layers and layers of sound design on the movie as well. So it was, you know, a lot of work. I mean, I ultimately did have other sound people come in and stuff, but a lot of the sound effects are the ones I originally purchased and put in there. So nice. I think, you know, I probably saved about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars right there, just because that's I was on it the whole time in post. Yeah.
1: And so, like, from the point where you started working with Joe, you know, on the script and writing those action sequences and all that stuff till now, how long did you spend working on this movie? Hmm, I think we started, because it was during the
2: pandemic, you know, it was like the summertime, so the pandemic started in March. This all really began, I think it was around June, because what happened was Sarah French, who plays Taylor in the movie, and she's awesome in it. She, She plays a great action lead in this. She was in automation. She played one of the characters in that movie, my robot movie, and she was such a delight to work with. My wife really liked working with her. She was Always just prepared on time and just great attitude. And the thing that she was doing at the time, you know, during her, you know, COVID period, she just decided to just get into workouts. And she was doing all these military style workouts where you'd flip the tires and, throw yeah. things around and all that. Sledgehammers and all yeah. Of the yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff, you know. And I saw that and I was like, you know, maybe, maybe we can have her be an action hero for us in this movie. And she's like, Yeah, let, let's see if we can talk to her. So she was out actually in Vegas at one point And I I bounced back and forth between Vegas and LA. And I was out here and I just, you know, called reached out to her and we met up and we talked about it. And Joe Joe Netter is her boyfriend, so I also kind of already was thinking, okay, maybe I can get Joe to write this. <laughs> so I met with her, and I met with her, and she she was thrilled with the. I said, "Let's make you Mila Jovovich in the Resident Evil movies. Let's make you an action star." She's like, "Yes, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in." I said, "Do you think Joe would want to write?" Yes, he'll love to write it. You know, he loves Star Wars and things like that. So I met, you know, I I met with Joe, and what Joe did, which was brilliant, we knew who we were going to cast in this movie. We basically when when Jeff Miller approached me about doing a sci-fi movie, and he said he just wanted a different kind of sci-fi than the one I presented him with, he knew he wanted to work with Michael Paré. He liked the idea of us working with Sarah. So we already knew them. My wife, Anahit, who had a small part in automation, we knew we could count on her, obviously. You know, so we wrote a good part for her. So basically, Joe knew who was going to be in this movie. And we had ideas. We 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 really liked Sadie Katz. She was in automation, and we definitely were thinking about her for El Nora. And that worked out. And uh, Tyler Gallant, who works out with Sarah and had been in several movies with her before and is also very physical. We knew he was going to be in the movie. So he ended up playing Wade. So we had all these sort of people. So and Joe met with us and, you know, he you know, he met he knew Anna he before, but he didn't really sit down and talk to her before a lot. So when we sat down and had this lunch together, me, Sarah, Heat, and Joe, he was able to really get a read of her character and what would work for her. And it, he loved it because he got to write for these people specifically. And then it was kind of a long process of just developing the idea. So again, this is like summer 2020. And we began filming, I think it was... Once once we had the idea mapped out, then Joe began work on the script. We first we had to have the idea approved by Jeff Miller. He approved the idea. Then Joe wrote the script. We went back and forth on the script a little bit with Jeff until you know it was a place where he was happy with it and Uncorked wanted to do it. And that's basically it. I think I'm trying to think when we shot. It was uh, I think I believe it was 2020 uh, 21. It was we shot in. October 2021, Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, October and November 2021, and then I was in the editing process from, like, January on for, like, a year, you know, a year of editing and post and special effects. Wow.
3: Well amazing. You know, uh, looking back on the film now, I mean, clearly, you know, congratulations, you, you know, you, you've made this terrific thing. And it, it sounds like it was such an incredible journey because you're developing and working during, you know, very harsh environments. But now, looking back, is there anything that you would want to change? Like, going back, it's like, ah, if only we'd done such and such, then I feel like it probably would have made it smoother or, like, if we'd gotten this other shot, I think I would have been, you know, really excited about that.
2: Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And, you know, as time goes on, you realize more and more things that you would have done differently. Yeah. And you wouldn't be a good filmmaker, I guess, if you just sat back and said, it's perfect, right? Yeah. You're, you're always going to see something. One of the things I, I, I'll i tell you one, there are two things. I, I don't know if I want to point out some of them, because some, <laughs> some of them are like little flaws, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, No one else notices it. You, you're the only one who notices it. So there's a lot of that. I love our fight scenes in the movie. I, I'm really about being able to follow action, and that's something I'm very proud of in this movie. All the action scenes are cohesive, and you can follow it and track it although I will say the one thing I I regret looking back on it is I wish I just got and it's not that my fight scenes are in like mostly medium you know shots Mm -hmm. or you know almost full body shots you know what I mean so you can again there's never any incoherency on them but you know I saw like I just like darn it I just wish I got like a few wider shots you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Just a little wider for scope, but part of the reason, our our climactic fight scene took place in front of this cave, and the cave had graffiti all over it, and we digitally had to erase all the graffiti, which, you know, and I knew we were going to have to do that, so, you know, I was kind of reluctant to shoot anything too much towards the cave. I was trying to avoid that in terms of those things, but, you know, it is cool when you see a fight scene and you see someone's literally, you know, pose all the way to their head as they're exchanging punches, you know what I mean? I mean yeah and, and and i'm talking about in like a wide you know like in cliffhanger when stallone and john lithgow are on top of the helicopter you know you want that like wider shot you know what yeah. i mean yeah yeah um but again it, it you know it totally works i mean this is just me being nitpicky about my own work you know what i mean no, no one yeah. else is going to think twice about it until they watch this interview and say like, yeah he should have got a wider shot <laughs> you know, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> So I want to hear about the sets. So I've never done major set construction for any project that I've directed. So I want to kind of hear all the details like how how much space stage, stage space did you need? How much build time did you need to get the sets ready? How much turnaround? Like, what sets did you build? You said there were spaceships. Was that all? Was there, like, exterior elements of spaceships? Was it all interiors? Like, it was the all, whole deal on the sets.
2: Yeah, it was all interior builds, you know? And again, it, it was just what you needed to tell the story, you know what I mean? in in, in a lot of, like, if I'm going to, if I ever do this again, and we actually want to make sequels to this, we want to make, and when I say sequels, I mean totally new adventures with the same characters, just like Sinbad movies, not... Not not a saga. You know, this isn't like, oh, you got to watch all three, you know, sit down and watch eight hours of Lord of the Rings now. It's like, no, no, it's just each one's its own self-contained adventure. You're in and you're out and you had a good time. So the sets were done by Anthony Pierce and he's worked on a lot of films. He he even worked on like asylum movies and things like that. So he knew how to do things much (laughs) less expensively. But it was still, it was still probably, besides the special effects, the most costly thing on this film. Mm -hmm. I fortunately had the location for free, so that definitely, again, saved us money. Mm -hmm. But it was really almost like a big garage, you know what I mean, that we were filming in. And so, our sets are a little cramped, but what we were able to achieve on there was, you know, quite good. I mean, Anthony had a great vision for these big windows on the spaceship. So he basically built a shell and, and then he had all this gack and stuff and he would hanging up, hang it up on the walls and. We, we even we even did the old Roger Corman thing for like Battle Beyond the Stars and Galaxy of Terror, where we used food trays and we would put them <laughs> up on the, on the walls and then paint over them and everything. And there was a lot of constant, like once you're done with one set, now we have to have another set. So, you know, wh- while we're filming on a different set, they'd take apart the other one and repaint it and reposition things and change it into the space station or something else. So there was a lot of that kind of work where you're, Mm-hmm. constantly repurposing things. You know, we had certain light panels and control panels and things like that. Well,
3: to, to speak to that a little bit, I mean, if you're you're deconstructing your sets, you know, before your assembly is complete, like, you know, when it comes to reshoots, it's just like, are you going to rebuild it again or is it just like, hey, listen, we better get everything on this, on this shoot because like this spaceship is going away tomorrow.
2: That is a great question and absolutely that's the concern you have when you're doing something like this. Fortunately, editing is my thing. So I kind of knew exactly what we were going to need to tell this story. So I was not a fearful of
3: like missing anything. I mean, I yeah. knew what we needed. Were you, I'm sorry, uh, were you were you editing along the way? So were you going home at night and kind of taking a look at the footage and kind of putting it together at all just to make no. sure you had what you had? Okay. All,
2: all in my head. I mean, it yeah. was, uh, you yeah, know, it was, I did all the editing, you know, everything got compiled together. I ha- hired an assistant editor, handed him everything. He, you know, synced up everything and got Got it all prepared for me. And then I just sat down and like, okay, you know, I waited a month. I There was no way I was going to dig right in, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> time to get started here, you know? And but it was all there. I think, again, we did have a couple brief pickups. And and, mm-hmm. and there are times where you look at your footage as you're cutting it. And you're like, oh, I kind of need a moment here or, or something else. There were a couple moments, especially in the cross-cutting that was going on. Because there was a lot of balls in this movie being juggled in terms of where characters were and what was going on. And there was some creation of moments using footage just differently than maybe it was intended to be used. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it worked out worked out great you'd never know and and again that's part of being an editor you you know you can look at footage and see a look or something and be like okay i can use that for this you know what i mean or create a moment out of this
1: yeah so how, how many sets were you able to have in your garage space up at one time was it two three one like one like how like and how did that work like if you're breaking down one set and shooting on another set like How is that happening at the same time with noise and all that? stuff? Oh, that was that was tough. I mean, it was it was it was basically one
2: big garage, which we would use and repurpose for our main sets. But then there were other sections that we kind of took over at my uncle's place. And we built like El Nora's, you know, base, and then we had, you know, a hospital room. My my aunt was an esthetician, and she she is an esthetician, and she she had a room that basically is like a hospital like looking room. So we were able to do a hospital scene there, and there were various, you know, but we constantly switch. It, again, it was just like three, you know, when I say it's three stages, it's basically three rooms, you know what I mean? <laughs> and but yeah, there would be moments where it's like they'd be constructing in there and using power drills and stuff, and we'd be like, okay. Everybody Everyone quiet. We're about to do a take. And then the drills would stop. We do our take. All right, done. Then the drills start going again. So there was a lot of that.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, the the pre-production I always feel like is how you save money on a movie. Like, if the more you can plan beforehand, before you actually get to set, then you will save a lot of cash. When you're taking on sci-fi, I mean, like any film is going to be expensive, but sci-fi, man, you've got, you're building whole worlds, and like, you know, you're building sets, and you, like, as you said, like the chairs, the guns, like anything that you're using, you know, can't be from today. So where are you starting when it comes to sci-fi? Like, look, we have to have these things in place before we get into production.
2: You know, the, the two biggest changes between my first film and this one were the positions of a production designer mm. and costumes designed. Because my last film just took place basically in sort of a future world. I mean, we added cityscapes and a couple flying cars and things, but it was basically our world. You know, it took place in an insulation company. So, you know, outside of like control panels on walls and stuff it was like a near future but you know it, it could have been our world you know mm-hmm. this one you had to create build the whole world and big part of that was again the production design by anthony pierce and then we had uh joanna heckman who also plays a character in the movie towards the end but she designed all the costumes and i spent a lot of time with her and we'd be doing drawings and stuff because again every one of these little details helps build your world you, you know these you know your, your high. And it's funny just seeing the perform, like how much goes into a character in a sci-fi movie, because it's not just a person standing there in a jacket or whatever. You have to, you know, first you're casting the person. First, you got to have a great character written, which Joe did. Then you got to, you know, cast the right person, which we were blessed on all fronts with that. Then you got to cost, find a costume for these people that works for them and, you know, creates a look. And then when we did the music, we created themes for each character. So all of those things blend together and they become these larger than life, more fun characters. You know, sometimes with low budget, independent films, you know, if people don't really hunch out of the screen, you know, know, you've seen these movies where, you know, there's people moving through space, but you're not really connecting with anything going on. I, I really think we did a good job of at least creating interesting characters, which, you know, uh, Joanna Heckman said, hey, you know, I I hope people will cosplay as these characters one day at Comic-Cons and stuff. And it it does have that feel, you know. I mean, I remember every character in Battle Beyond the Stars, you know, or even Star Crash, you know, or Flash Gordon, you know, Prince Baron and, you know. And then Ming, <laughs> and, you know, Colitis, you know, all these fun characters. So we tried to give them that sort of thing. So anyway, yeah, nice. so there was a lot of that. And then pre-production, a lot of it was just the scheduling. That was huge. Mm-hmm. And Joe Netter is like a genius with with the scheduling. In fact, I'll just tell you a quick story here. Like, so we had the whole movie scheduled. It was all plotted out. We, we mm-hmm. you know, we knew what day we were going to film everything. And, you know, we had parade for a certain number of days. And he basically is on the stages the whole movie, you know and he has a lot of action. I mean, he's in the whole movie, he's doing fist fights and, you know, laser battles and all this stuff, but he was mainly on our sets. So suddenly, we had one request from Uncorked and they were like, you know, "Hey, can you just add and this is like like can you just add like a James Bond action scene sort of opening to the movie like or like make it go off stark?" And we already had yeah. the film scheduled and we were oh, like, oh, "Okay." God how are we going to do this so we started like trying to figure out like you know maybe we can have an exterior scene at another location and we're trying and for the life of we just could not come up with it and and we we were just talking to ourselves and like my gosh we're just boxed in i just got michael pare in a box and i can't get him out of the box and then and then i just like wait a minute wait a minute and i drew this picture and i put a uh, uh, michael pare in a literal box hanging from a wire over a giant lava pit with a monster coming out of it so And I'm like, okay, that's what we'll do. We'll we'll take this one other set that we were going to use, which is a pod in the movie for a few scenes, and we'll turn that into a box which we put Paray in and we'll have this opening action scene with these, you know, these. Uh, Joe came up with this judge character and we gave him a team of goons. So when you come into the beginning of the movie, it's like, you know, the beginning of For Your Eyes Only or something with Blofeld in the wheelchair or whatever, you know. <laughs> and it's a whole action set piece we did. And it was basically we were able to create it by by still filming on our stages and, and it fit into our schedule and it worked. I mean, it was great.
1: So you mentioned working with Uncorked on the movie b- before you shot it, right? So they were like a partner early on. Can you talk about that? And then also like how you funded this whole thing? Like, was it self-funded? Did it come from Uncorked? Did it come from other places? Like, how did this movie happen?
2: So basically, you know, Jeff Miller and Ron E. Lee were two parts of the financial equation on it. And Uncorked was the major part of the financial equation. And then I was the other, me and my wife, Anahit, we have a company called Hungry Monster Entertainment. In my previous movie, we put in a considerable amount of the financing. And I think, you know, I knew, they knew I was going to put in, you know, a certain amount into the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think they expected me to go as far in as I did, you know, but I was determined to make sure that this film came together, had great posts. I mean, you sometimes, see these films certainly lower budget science fiction ones and it's like wow they got a couple good effect shots or hey that set looks good but then everything else kind of falls apart you know and yeah. I, I just really wanted to make sure that within the realm of a low-budget movie that we are, you know, I, we still told a cohesive story that made sense and never quite falls apart. It's it's all there, you know? But yeah, I mean, the financing was Ronnie Lee and, you know, and Jeff Miller and then Uncorked and then me and Anahit with Hungry Monster Entertainment, which was my company.
1: And a um, follow-up to that. Sorry, Eric, just to sneak no, in. Sure. Was there any, like, stipulations from Uncorked where they had, like, certain... You know, things you had to meet, or like, you know, stipulations to, like, you know, their involvement? Or was it more like, you know you got you had final cut you had final say on everything and they they trusted you in your vision for the movie you know i gotta say they've been great you know i really have nothing to complain
2: about i mean in terms of you know during the development process i mean there were some disagreements about you know maybe the amount of humor that was in the movie mm. but we made those adjustments to accommodate what they wanted in the film but it was never anything where i felt like i was it was never anything that i felt like we were compromising our vision you know it, it's any part of any kind of collaboration there's going to be a little bit of back and forth and and that's one of the things where I really feel I've been blessed with because both films, Automation and this, I really didn't have any interference in it, you know, I mean with this one our first cut was 98 minutes and I knew I wanted to deliver the movie and I don't remember if it was in the contract or not but my plan was to deliver a 90 minute movie so I knew I was going to have to cut it down, you know Mm -hmm. and that was, you know, so when in the final, like I, I think it was 98 minutes and then I submitted a cut you know I told them I you know they, they sent me a few notes on cutting and I got it down to like 94 and then they sent me even more notes and I was like okay well you know I can you know I, there was one scene in particular that I remember thinking oh my gosh how am I gonna you know is there a way I can do this or make, make this work but I found a great way to do it and I got the movie down to 90 minutes and that's pretty much where I stopped I mean again there were still a couple more notes that they probably would have liked me to address but it, it's like I you know They were cool about it. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just like, you know, film is a collaborative effort, but ultimately I feel like I made the movie I wanted to make. I didn't feel like someone came in and made me pull it all apart or, you know, compromise what what I really wanted to do. So in that sense, it was a good experience. Well,
3: now jumping ahead a little bit. So you've you've completed the film. You guys are very happy with it. Now, distribution, you have theatrical distribution for this film. Was that built in beforehand? Did you always know that you were going to go do it? Theatrical run, or and oh, was that part of uh, part of the, the the plan to begin with? It was
2: something we wanted to do right mm-hmm. from the beginning, but there was no guarantee it was going to happen. You know, uncorked is basically th- their main pl- plan was a digital release followed by a DVD release. So the theatrical was sort of something, you know, we pushed for me, Anahit, Joe and Sarah. And we were able to get it through because our film ran at a few film festivals and had a really good reception. And we also did like one screening at the Galaxy Theaters in Las Vegas because our film was like half Vegas talent and crew and half L.A. So we did one in Vegas and we did one in L.A. with Zedfest but But we did, you know, I rented basically a theater, you know, for the Vegas one. And through that relationship, one of my producers, Ben Stober, knew some people there and, and they liked the movie and they were like, you know, we could probably do a little run with this and that kind of got it going, you know. Then I had a PR guy, he looked into some other theaters and we were able to secure just some other ones based on the trailer, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, worked out a deal, you know. So, it, it was it was pretty good. I mean, we were in like six or seven theaters different times, you know. You know, it, it, look, it was, it was basically a regional relationship We were in Las Vegas. Beverly Hills. We were in Palm Springs, Fallon, Nevada. Some drive-ins in Pennsylvania. So you oh, know, cool. it was nice. And it, it, it was it. It all kind of makes the film feel a little bit more like an event when it does eventually come out on home entertainment. And I think, I mean, I can't say this for certain, you know, but it, it seemed that the trailer was really picked up on upon the announcement of it being a theatrical release by sites like Moviegasm, which mm-hmm. and and they would include it as part of like science. First of all, the the trailer ended up getting like 255,000 hits, which was great. Wow! And then, and then I think it's up to 257. And then they included the trailer as part of these sci-fi reels, you know, of trailers. So you'd have like King Kong, you'd have Insidious, Part 5, Space Wars, Quest for the Deep Star, (laughs) you know, and those, that, that was up to like 1.5 million hits or whatever. So so we had a great sort of awareness of our film. At at least I think we do, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know what the, you know. Numbers are, I'm not bathing in a bathtub of money or anything.
3: (laughs) Not yet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but
2: it does seem like we got sort of that saturation that we wanted. And, you know, if someone was to Google Space Wars Quest, like if you're in a Walmart, you know, and you see this movie, because I don't know if you guys do this, like when you buy physical media. If I'm in a Walmart, you know, I always go right to the sci-fi or monster movies and stuff and I'll see a title. I'm like, okay, what is this? And I'll Google it, you mm-hmm. know, and you might find very little information about it. But other times, like with this movie, if you type it in, there's a ton of it stuff pops, that pops, pops up. right up. Yeah, sure. I just did it.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And, and there's a lot of good reviews. We were well-reviewed, which is wonderful. And, you know, we've done interviews, the cast and crew, they've all been really enthusiastic about the film. I mean, we knew we made something kind of special. There's nothing quite like it out there
1: yeah not a lot of movies like this being made like as a sci-fi fan like you can't just find like a space adventure movie, like there's like, like one a year maybe made if that even, like not even that, yeah. many, you know, so and, it's and, exciting to, see. that's why I wouldn't have you on the show. Cause I was like, Oh my God, how did this guy make this movie? <laughs> and you know, you know, it's funny too, the, the, again,
2: and, and this is something I got to stress. It's like, you know, modern science fiction and entertainment, you know, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on franchise films because I like franchise movies in general, yeah. but, but you know, It's like, if if it's not a Marvel or DC or Star Wars, there really isn't much, you know? And then, you know it's like, if then then you go to television, you know, and everything's on a streaming service. So you gotta have, you know, you might see an ad for something like, oh, that looks good. What What's that on? Uh, uh, I don't even know. I don't have that thing. You know what I mean? There's so yeah. many streaming things, options that come up. And when I find out it's like on a streaming service and I gotta order this thing monthly and watch a bunch of other crap that I'm not interested in. I'm not interested. I, I'm an a la carte guy. I yeah. want to just buy the movie I want to see. You know, I'd rather buy a Blu-ray or just rent the one, you know, I don't even rent them. I just buy them because, I mean, you know, what's the difference? Four ninety nine, dollars $9.99, you know? You yeah. might as well just buy it, you know? But it's like, I just want to, you know, the TV shows, all these cool sci-fi shows, I'm sure they're great, but either they're on a streaming service I don't have, and almost all of them invariably are part of some labyrinth-like, really densely plotted, serialized storyline that, you know, I mean, how often have you heard with some kind of new TV show, it's the most Amazing show! You got to check it out. You know? Okay, great. What? What? Yeah. There's like eight seasons of it. Now look, the first three, <laughs> now the first three or four seasons are kind of slow and boring, but boy, it gets good after that. It's like you know, I, I don't have the time. I'm an editor. I'm always working. I just want to get in and get out and have a good time. You know what I mean? I I if I'm gonna wa- if I have a choice between watching a TV show, you know, dedicating my life to one specific TV show for several weeks. Or watching a different movie experience each night, I'm going to choose the different movie experience. So we seem to have lost that just straightforward action adventure. Here's a story, beginning, middle, and end, and it's done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I like the old Star Trek shows. I mean, I liked Space 1999. Every episode was its own thing. You know, you guess the characters went through some growth and stuff, but you could che- technically watch Star Trek episodes out of order, and it would still make sense. Today, yeah. it. it there's not that simplicity in entertainment. Everything is a much more complicated sort of thing. And again, I- I'm not attacking that. I mean, I don't prefer it as much, but it just seems like everything is that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus yeah. Air is the simple, straightforward, fun-filled, exciting adventure that I could just get in and enjoy. And-, and and the funny thing is, those are the kind of movies that have repeat value. You know, I mean, yeah. I must have yeah. seen Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone like 30 times or Crawl. <laughs> you know what I mean? All yeah. the fantasy movies I grew up with. It- it's almost easier to watch those than it is Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Because if you're watching Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, you kind of feel committed. Well, I got to watch the other ones too. And now it's yeah. like you're sitting there yeah. for 12 hours instead of just 90 minutes. You
1: yeah. Know? And, and speaking of 90 minutes, like there's very few 90 minute movies these days. Anyways, like everything's two hours, yeah. two and a half hours. So yeah. I really appreciate... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they keep on going high. They're like bringing it back to Ben Hur days over here. You know, yeah. just like come on. I had one more question before we get to our last six questions, just because. So you know, the alternate shared a distributor with your film. I also was with Uncorked. I also had my trailer featured by Moviegasm, and you know, we had like 175 thousand hits, which to me was like Great. holy shit. But what I did <laughs> when it was happening, I had to read every single comment, which was yes. like. You know, some kind, some sort of, you know, like weird thing where, like, you get like, oh my god, someone says something nice, and then you're like, oh, someone's. Yeah, ripping us apart. But I wanted to know, like, do you read those comments and like, what was your experience going through that? I read them all. <laughs>
2: you know, I, I, I read every review, I read all the comments, and you know, you know what I did? I actually engaged with some of the people just a little. Me, bit. Me too. I yeah. felt bad. I was like, yeah. well, I should have done this. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't. But I never got mad. I mean, if someone no. if someone's being toxic, there's there's no reason to engage with that. You know, I mean, when you mm-hmm. see, the, you know, I mean, how often do you? Oh, this looks like a porn movie. It's like, what are you talking? talking about, you know, I I don't, you know, but I'm not, I'm not even going to go there with something that immature or silly. But when people ask, "Well, where can I see this?" I'll tell them. Or, oh yeah, me, me too. This looks like this kind of movie. You got it. That's exactly what kind of movie we made. You know. So it, it was funny because MovieGasm, you're, you know, that's where we got the most comments, and it was a kind yeah. of a joy reading through it because you know, yes, there there were the, there's a couple haters in there and all that, but but there are a lot of sort of people who seemed legitimately excited about. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, and again, you know, loved the first six Star Wars so much, and I Rogue One and all that, but but I had problems with other
1: ones, you know. <laughs> sure, the conversation for another time, <laughs> yeah. But there's but I
2: think there's a lot of disenfranchised fans of these things people who grew up loving this stuff, they loved it. it, it meant everything to them. And then suddenly they are told by the makers of these things that they aren't wanted, they aren't loved, that they hate it, they're hated. You better change and become this instead of this. And we just hate you and hate you and hate you. I mean, it's just like I. I've never, I never thought I'd lived through this kind of period in time where the new marketing strategy is basically attacking your fans. I, I just, mm-hmm. it's astonishing to me. I, I just don't, I don't understand it. When you have a fan base, nurture it, love them, appreciate them. My gosh, we are gifted with the opportunity to follow our dreams and make these movies and to turn around and spit in the face of the fans. I, I'm just, I just do not understand it. It doesn't make any sense at all. Also- well, kind of uh, I'm curious. I can't help thing.
1: myself. What 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 do you mean? Like, what? Give me an example of, uh, you know, franchises spitting in the face of the fans. I just want to get. I want to hear one. It, all right, I, I'll start with Force Awakens. In my
2: opinion, you know, my humble opinion. Sure. You know, first of all, just on a technical standpoint, again, you can look at those first six Star Wars movies, including the prequels. Each one di- reinvents itself visually. There's stuff in each movie that you haven't seen in the previous movie. Can you say that about? Force Awakens? Or is it basically all the same old toys
1: reconstituted and just being doing the same it was thing? It's totally nostalgia fanfare, right? right? Like I feel like, you know you know, my, my thought is that they almost did that too. It's like, they went too much trying to make the fans happy. It's like, rather than spitting in the face of the fans, it's like, they tried to like service the fans in a way that, that was detrimental to, to the movie. It does become, it it, becomes, it
3: becomes so hard because it's like, now you're making a movie by committee. And uh, a lot of those people, I mean, yes, they're diehard fans. They really know their things, but at the same time, like there is a structure to a film. You have to tell a story in a certain way. And like, you can't throw everything in. There.
2: But what you're saying is the fan service, it's like wrong, wrongly thought fan service. The fan service to them is like we're gonna remake a new hope. That's not right. what fans wanted. They didn't want a remake <laughs> of a new hope. I mean, right. look, the characters you had great actors. I thought, I thought Daisy Ridley was great. I, yeah. I, I like yeah. I, I liked all the, the cast, you know, they're fine. The problem was the story and taking legacy characters that you loved, that you grew up with, and basically. Destroying them and turning them well, into the people. Or literally that they were not. killing them. Right. <laughs> and the most in the most awful way. I mean, Han Solo had a happily ever after in Return of the Jedi. When we no, pick it up, he's an absentee dad. He yeah. left Princess Leia. He's just a shambling loser and he gets killed by his son at the end. I mean, it's awful. I mean oh, in, and the spoiler, most, by the way,
3: everybody, if you oh, haven't yeah, seen, no, yeah. no, you don't get any spoiler <laughs> alerts. Yeah. If you haven't, you don't know Force yeah. Awakens
1: by now, too I bad. Mean, Sorry. I
2: mean, I know. <laughs> there were a lot of fans who got on ryan johnson's case with the last jedi but to me all these problems began even before i mean you know i mean you never had a you never had a scene with luke leia and han and chewbacca together you know what the heck how do you do that it's just insane insane mm. I, and you know and it's funny i've been saying these things for years and suddenly i'm hearing them echoed everywhere you know what i mean and mm-hmm. it's like okay i'm not alone in feeling this way but yeah but i think I think you know but um you know look the film the, the first one was the I know a lot of people fell off after that. To me, it just, I remember seeing that movie in the theater with my son who grew up on the Star Wars movies, and he leaned into me when we were watching Force Awakens and says, Dad, this is the first time I've been bored watching a Star Wars movie. Wow. Oh, that's so funny. You know? And that was completely on his own. And I wasn't sitting there hating it. I was just kind of like, you know... It just it didn't have the magic you know okay. and, yeah. and I and I think this is what happens when the people who are working again I can't uh, again if people love these movies please love them and enjoy them and I, I don't I don't want to be that guy you know what I mean <laughs> but but I'm right. just trying to tell you you know like when the Ghostbusters movie came out the 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 remake you know with a redo yeah we, yeah it, we know this was the start of what I feel like has been a trend of attacking the fan base and basically what what was happening was and 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 I'm just telling you my interpretation of it, okay? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like the fans wanted a sequel. That's what they wanted, all right? They wanted this, a sequel with the same characters. They would have been happy with new characters. I don't even think any of the problem was all female ghosts. Everyone's like, oh, you just don't like it because you don't like women. Well, I, I don't know. No, that wasn't the no, problem.
1: The but, problem in that movie is that it wasn't a good story. Like, well, it, it would have yeah. been, I would have been fine with it if it had been a well written, interesting story and that the third act wasn't like complete. Massive. Yeah disappointing sadness, you know? Yeah, but... Because but, I feel like there was elements of that movie that were really great, but this, overall, yeah. the writing and the story were bad. So but a like, lot of the... That's the problem. But a lot yeah. of the negativity came before the movie
2: even came out. Oh, and, yeah, and, and, for sure. And, and and here's... But what I'm trying to say is, instead of just saying to the audience, wait and see, we hope you'll enjoy the movie, they went to war with the audience that was complaining. They said, well, you don't like it because you don't like women. You're a bigoted, massive you know, mm. misogynistic, horrible person. You ghost... Mm bros. You go home. We hate you. You come on board or you go away. We don't like you. And it's like, you're like, what the hell are you doing? If I was a studio exec, I'd be telling everyone, shut up. You know, (laughs) fans, why are you doing this? This is stupid. Well, there's so many of them. There isn't that many of them. You're talking about just a couple trolls. And then you're taking those trolls. There's like five or six idiots out there. And you're you're taking them and then spreading them out over all the people who just wanted a sequel. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They didn't want a remake. That was the problem. They didn't want a remake. And then to compound it, they cast the original Ghostbusters in the movie in different parts. You could you had all the pieces. You could have made a legitimate sequel with the female Ghostbusters, and people would have been happy. But mm-hmm. instead, they went to war with the audience, and they literally cleaved off half of them. You know, they associated with like a presidential candidate or something just all this stupid stuff that has nothing to do with why we originally go to movies in the first place we go to these movies to escape to have a good time to enjoy our life to get away from all this stupid noise you know what i mean and that's all i wanted to do with this movie and it's just depressing when i go to a movie and all of this stuff gets injected into these films no one's taking the time to tell a story or really show love to the legacy of these franchises. It, it's like people who do not have a single drop of love for these things are suddenly in charge, you know. And, mm-hmm. and there was, I, yeah. I believe it wasn't Kevin Feige even made a comment a while ago about Marvel, like, "Oh, we don't want people who like know Marvel already. We want like different people to be working on Marvel. new
1: voices."
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, what are you gonna? I don't get? know.
1: <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like. Part of the problem is is just the storytelling not being strong, you yeah. know, and like and like people like for you know I'm not like a big fan of uh, well I don't know I'm not going to even say that but basically the the, the filmmakers behind the Ghostbusters remake. They were trying their best to make a movie that they thought would honor the originals and yeah. original movies, the original series, and tell a new fun story at the same time. They just didn't do a good job. They just did a bad job at that. But they thought they were they were trying to do that. They but, just failed. But they were, so, erasing, you know. they
2: were erasing the original film. You see, that that's the problem. You, you, people well, they were trying the to like
1: ice. have it be its own thing, which I think was maybe not but it was necessarily a remake. the best. yeah. it was a remake. You see what I mean? It, it's like the film was still in the hearts of people.
2: You know, anyone who could gauge what was going on, you know, it wasn't that hard to figure out what people actually wanted. And, you know, now these days, fan service has become somehow a naughty and evil word. And Mm -hmm. there's a good way of doing fan service. I mean, that that last Ghostbusters movie, the, The Afterlife. In a weird way, it's kind of modeled a bit like The Force Awakens, strangely enough. Very much so. But I think it's a more successful movie in the fact that it seems to honor the original characters with a little more love than what, you know, poor Han Solo was treated as he got
1: stabbed <laughs> and plunged to his bed. Well, well we, ne- we never have these kinds of conversation on the show, mainly because Liz doesn't stand for it, I think, for the most part, because yeah. she- <laughs> it's not like her bag Oh, really? To into nerd talk. But that's, this is like... Obviously wearing the Star Wars shirt is like my thing. <laughs> and I know Eric likes it too. Yeah. You know, we watch all the franchise stuff, but let's get back to the final six questions. Sure. Like let's yeah. get, let's, let's wrap these up. Sorry. So no, no, it's great. I love it. I, I, I wanted it to happen. <laughs> so I could do a whole show f- of this. <laughs> oh, man, me too. I could, I could do, a I almost did do a whole podcast about this, but then I was like, I can't do two podcasts too many. So what's the first film you made and how do you feel about it now? And it can be a short It could be something that no one's seen. Like, it could be your first feature, however you want to, you know.
3: Be a student project. Yeah.
1: I, I did it. <laughs> strangely
2: enough, I did. A, I did sort of one of those Dinosaur Island movies when I was like ten years old or something. I called it the <laughs> Voyage of Shark Two, and it was. A, and, and, a, and I used to. I had a Super Eight film camera, and when you take the cartridge and put it in, then you would send it out to be developed and everything. Sure. And I had an old movieola, and I would literally cut the film and add you know tape, and I would do my own stop motion animated monsters. And and I remember it was a project I worked on for like a couple years with. A buddy of mine and you know we we would cover we would film the inside of a car as the inside of our submarine and <laughs> I used some footage from other movies for the submarine in here you know you know underwater and then I'd I do like I said stop motion monsters some puppets and things and it was just like a crazy land that time forgot sort of dinosaur island movie and it was one of my biggest efforts. I was so proud of it. It was so epic, you know and but that was probably my first like full film. I mean I did a lot of experimental shorts and things before that but yeah nice. that's yeah
3: all. what is the best advice you have ever gotten as a filmmaker
2: you know i don't think anyone said this to me but i i can Officially say, I can tell you what my advice would be to anyone who wants to be a filmmaker, you know, learn a trade in this business so you can stay alive while you're pursuing your dream of making a movie. My wife and I had been wanting to make movies since we started dating. You know, my wife always saw herself more as a behind-the-camera person, but she's a wonderful actress and she she had done she'd won awards and stuff. As an actress when she was a lot younger. And, you know, we both had this dream. We were going to make movies at some point. It literally took us 20 years to make our first movie. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't specifically making that one, that particular movie. But throughout your career, you know, y- you'll have an opportunity. Oh, let's work with this writer and develop this thing. And, oh, it's going to happen. Oh, it didn't happen. And, oh, I sold a screenplay. The studio wants it. Okay. They're paying us to do a rewrite of the script. All right. Great. This film's all right. They said we're going to agree. Like this film, oh, the studio fell apart, you know, it's gone now. All right, now working with this guy, but all of these things, every step of the way, something would come along. Like, you know, a producer I met, you know, who wanted one of the scripts I worked on, and it didn't happen. But he hired me to do some trailers over the years and he ended up making his own independent films. And he said to me one day when I was cutting a trailer, hey, you know, if you can ever get 25 grand together, you know, I'll I'll put up 25 grand and we'll make a movie together. You can take domestic, I'll take them, you know, international you know that's basically what ended up happening with automation almost 10 wow. 15 years later you know whatever yeah. it was so but little pieces of everything came along to make that one thing the thing is i had a I have had a very successful career as an editor. I was at Lionsgate for 16 years, cutting trailers for them and formed my own company. And I continuously do trailers. I also do other work, like I worked on a TV pilot or a or a few features. And that's what has kept me alive. We've been able to support my family, you know, have a house and you know, while still trying to keep one foot in this other dream. And here we are, all these years later, you know, it took 20 years to make automation, and all it took to make Space Wars was the fact that automation existed and was well received. So if you hang in there long enough, you know, and you can stay in the <laughs> game long because a lot of people, they give up, you know, that yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, it's never too late. You know, this idea like, oh, it has to happen when I'm like 20 years old or 30 years old or 40 years old. I mean, you know, it, it it may not happen that way. But if you hang in there long enough, I mean, again, I can't say it happens to everybody, but my wife and I are living the dream right now. And, you know, it wouldn't have happened if we gave up and it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't able to make a living in the meantime.
1: That's amazing. Love that. What's the worst filming advice that you've ever received? <laughs> to
2: quit (laughs) you know Joe and I have a running gag you know whenever things were like tough on the set or something Joe's like you know we could just quit (laughs) we could just all go home and quit (laughs) let's just forget it let's just go home let's let's just call it a day let's let's just stop you know but worst advice I mean yeah I I, I don't know I can't really that's that that is. I know it's a joke answer but I can't really think of it. it's still a good one I yeah absolutely
3: I I remember hearing I heard Carl Reiner one time and he said uh, yeah somebody Asked me one time, like, oh, what's the what's the trick to make it in the inter- entertainment industry? There's three guys who start off, two guys quit, the other guy has a career at the end. Like, <laughs> that wow. was his whole thing. Just, just, wow, still quit. That's, ab-
2: that's absolutely true. That yeah. really is the way it is. I mean, I, you know, I guess, it, you know, you got to know when to give up on a certain project, too. Maybe there's a way of figuring that out. You know what I mean? But I, you know, I stuck in there for a long time on some things where, you know, I know my wife was like, you should have gotten out of that or you shouldn't have done that one or whatever, you know. But again, if I didn't go through that process, I wouldn't have made it to where I am. You know, you kind of, I really believe, you know, God puts you in places at certain times for certain reasons, and you might not necessarily see the reason at first, but when you get to the end and then you suddenly realize, wait a minute, that's why that happened. That's why, oh, okay, this all makes sense, you know, in a certain way. And then you learn to kind of follow that. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I I do. I mean, in terms, I want to stay in this genre. I'm Mm -hmm. all about sci-fi. Sci-fi and fantasy adventure. Anything that's just pure escapism that's what i want to do i want to i want to put out there something positive in the world where you can just sit back relax and enjoy yourself for the time in the theater i love escapism fantasy don't need any more reality in movies at least for me i'll watch reality movies but the kind of stuff i want to put out there is fantasy and escapism that's the stuff i rent all the time those are the movies i revisit mm. you know and i do have it a up. dream script uh, i have a dream sci-fi <laughs> script that's probably it's either going to be that next or sequels to space Wars, so we'll see.
1: Nice, that's awesome. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Don't quit.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: you know i mean you know just hey you know, you know it's funny ted smith who designed all the props and stuff he said something really brilliant to me one day because there was one day i was like just stressed out you know with the work i was doing and everything and he just said hey you know something out if you could go back in time right now 20 years ago you know and say hey guess what you know you're, you're talking to your old self hey guess what you just made two science fiction movies and they both got distribution in the future it's gonna be great you know you you would be blown away and it Excited about it, right? You know what I mean. So always remember that. I mean, you know, look, yeah, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I thought I'd be making you know gigantic Spielberg, you know, George Lucas types productions. You know, okay, you know, I'm not saying never say never, but but you know that hasn't happened, and maybe that won't. But I could still do the kind of films I love and do them on a more modest scale. I mean, I, I found a system that kind of works for doing this thing, and you know, it's good enough for me. I mean, I'm enjoying this ride, you know? I mean, yes, we want to make each film bigger and better. And that's what we did, you know? And hopefully the next one will be a little bigger and have a more budget and I can, you know, do more with it. I mean, my, my dream would be to, you know, create basically a, a Roger Corman like a place or what, what Charles Band did with Full Moon initially, but just do films that kind of, they're like for the monster kid audience, you know, mm. sci-fi adventure and, you know, and just fun, put the fun back in movies. I mean, we go to these movies to escape and sometimes they don't allow us to.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Final question. Is making movies hard?
2: Yes. But it's fun. <laughs> but it's really fun. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I know it's, it's you know, they all have their challenges, but it's worth doing. If you really believe in it and you're really passionate about
1: it, you know, don't give up. So, this is probably going to come out. I mean, we could, we could decide when, but it'll either be the 22nd or the 29th so what should people do you know to support your movie like how should they find you are you on Twitter Instagram where's the movie to watch should they go to the trailer what should people do after they listen to this interview well they can check out our
2: trailer it's on there on YouTube on the moviegasm site and the screen rant and all these other places and you can see the movie it's, it's available digitally everywhere you can rent it or buy it so wherever you rent or purchase movies digitally you can get a nice HD copy of the movie movie or you could order the DVD. We put some extras on it. There's a blooper reel and deleted scenes and a commentary by me, Heat, Sarah French and Joe Netter. Nice. And the trailer? Yeah, you know, so if you like physical media, pick up the DVD. I would get the DVD and the HD version. So you have it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, so, uh, so yeah, they're they're all out there now and they're all available and we, you know, and we'd love to hear from you. I'm on social media, on Facebook, so Sarah and Joe and all of us and, you know, Sadie Katz, all, all the cast, you know, Michael Pere, you know, and, you know, we'd love to hear from you and hear what you think of it and, you know, we want to make more.
0: Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes
1: jump over to our patreon page at patreon.com mmih and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month
0: that's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on itunes that you can listen to whenever you please
1: but without any more blibber blabber back to the show
0: all right, Alric. what do you remember about your talk with Gatto? So,
1: Gatto was really cool. He's a total genre action movie, adventure movie, sci fi fantasy nerd. So, we had a lot to talk about there, which was fun. This is his second feature. And so, it was kind of cool to hear like the journey from, you know, his first movie he made to making this one. We kind of went all over the place. It was a little bit more unstructured than a lot of our conversations are, which I think was fun. He had a lot to say about a lot of things, which was cool. We also to get into it a little bit over some ideas or comments about franchises and Star Wars stuff is specific. Some of the more clashy sort of Star Wars conversations that people have. And uh, he got very heated over it. And I was a little like heated too. Not too much, but a little bit. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was fun. We never have those kind of, we never, Liz never lets us devolve into these kinds of conversations about, you know, movies or shows or To the show's detriment, let's
0: not to the show's detriment we never go there but I think for some
1: I think it's probably it keeps us focused, you know, to not to not dive into that land land field. But yeah, it was cool. It was it was fun. He he talked about the the thing that I really liked the most was the sets. Like he talked about building his sets. How he approached that and kind of broke down, like you know what, how he allocated his budget towards that. He didn't say what his budget was, but he did tell, talk mm. about like percentages of like how much I put into this versus this and that. So very interesting. I definitely recommend listening for sure. I think it's a it's a really good episode, and I I really want to watch his movie. And, and the thing that really warmed my heart about this whole thing is that he'd seen the trailer for the alternate, not knowing anything about me or being a ah. fan of the show or anything. So that was like. Oh, my God. The fact that he'd seen my trailer was, like, really, really cool.
0: That's really nice.
1: So, yeah. But, uh, Liz, I'm really excited for the next thing that's coming.
0: Do you... I I can explain it, but do you want to announce it?
1: Sure. We're going to play another round of The Game.
0: All right. The Game. Well done. The Game is a game brought to us handspun by our producer, Eric Toms. It is Eric Toms putting forth an indie film quandary quagmire question Problem, hypothetical scenario. How many ways can I put words in this description that one of us, whoever's in the hot seat, has to anticipate how we would deal with it as an indie filmmaker? And this week, Ulrich is in the hot seat. He's not heard this question, and here it is. You're on the set of your latest short film. It's a 10 minute, $30,000 proof of concept for a full length feature. Oof. Yeah. Mhm. <laughs> I think we could talk a lot just about that, but that's fine.
1: Wait, wait. What do they say the budget of the full-length
0: feature? $30,000. Wait, so it's, so it's 10 it's a minutes.
1: 10 minute short $30,000 budgeted short film for a full-length feature.
0: Yeah, so it's a te- it's a 10-minute proof of concept that has a 30k budget. Okay. The short features four of the main characters who are, who will appear in both iterations of the story on the way to the first of a 4-day shoot. One of the actors gets in a major car accident. I just think it's interesting that like half these questions are about the demise of actors. They're just like, (laughs) how did this actor get injured or ruin their reputation or get sick? All right. Though they're okay. Good. Thank you, Eric. Though they're okay, they will not be able to make it to the shoot. If you cancel and wait for them to get better, you will lose over 15K due to stage or equipment rentals. And many members of the cast and crew will be heading off to other jobs and schedules. Won't align for at least six to eight months. Do you? A, call in another actor who you know is talented, but who may not turn in the same performance nor of the same chemistry that the whole short hinges on. B, take the loss and spend the next six months trying to raise the money again, knowing that financiers will be gun shy to bet on you. C, other. What do you do, director?
1: What do you do? So in this scenario, I lose the money if I wait, for sure. That's what he says. You
0: lose like half the money.
1: I lose half the money. Okay. Huh, and then it, this is a proof of concept. So it's not necessarily like I'm going to make the movie. OK, I know the answer. I would just recast. I've yeah, actually this done this seems before. Obvious. This seems
0: like <laughs> an obvious. I think I was like, I know you know the answer. I know the answer. You just recast. But please go into why.
1: Yeah, well, this happened with the alternate. So I had Ed and Natalia, the two leads of the alternate set to do the proof of concept. Mm-hmm. And the day before, Ed realized that he had double booked and that he had something that he was t- contractually obligated to be at for his theater company that he worked for. And he yeah. couldn't be there on that one day. And so I was kind of stuck, like, oh, my God, like, I, I need to find a new actor in, like, a day. And so then I went to, like, this other guy I worked with a bunch who I knew a lot. It was a great guy, Gabe Rios. And Gabe was more than willing to, to slide right in and jump in and help out. And he did a really great job in in the proof of concept, you know. And then, you know, when Ed came, you know, came around to do the feature, Ed was available. So I went with Ed, and then Gabe has a small role in the movie. I wish it was a little bit bigger, but we don't really have a lot of supporting roles in the movie, so it's kind of hard to to slot them in. But I got them in there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's what I did. And I feel like, you know, when you're doing something like this, that's like, I guess, because it's different things, right? So like, for me, it wasn't necessarily about the money. It was more like, I need to get this in the can because I need to use it to fundraise for the feature. This scenario is more like, you know, you've got money raised for this, like, you know, And I made enough short films to know that like anyone who's gonna give me thirty thousand dollars for a short film, like I better make that movie. (laughs) Because raising money is hard enough, but raising money for a short is like it's like out of out of control difficult, you know? So like I think Yeah, I would not let my $15,000 or half my budget go. I would figure it out, make it work. And then maybe that person ends up winning the role. Like, you know, famously, I don't know if you guys know, but there was this whole thing where Tarantino was doing a table read for Hateful Eight, like way, way, way back. And one of the actors couldn't make it. So then I I can't remember which one it was, but I, I think it was Walton Goggins filled in and and did the role that the other character, the other actor was going to do. And then he won the role from the actor and then he's in the movie and the other guy isn't, you know? And so it's like, that shit's real. I mean, not to say that that would definitely happen. That didn't happen in in Gabe's case. Like, you know, Ed still had the role. But, you know, I feel like it's a proof of concept. Like, happy accidents are fun and exciting. It makes it different. Keeps you on your toes. Keeps you alive. So I would definitely, no brainer. Go, go with the recasting. What about you, Liz?
0: Yeah, recast. I mean, chemistry is always important between actors, but that's the magical thing about actors is that they can generate chemistry yeah. through their talents, you know, through, through their abilities, unless it was a romance where like there had to be this crazy, palpable chemistry that is very uh, rare or unique. I would see no problem in recasting. And I would say the only other option is don't make the proof of concept, save the 30K and put it towards the future because Mm -hmm. that's what I think. Unless this is someone's first project, $30,000. And I'm thinking of like that Thrupple movie that we... Do you remember that like New York City thruple movie that we, mm-hmm. yeah. we interviewed and they were like, yeah, we we fundraised all this money. We pr- put it towards a short and then we had a really hard time fundraising for the rest of the film. And that mm-hmm. happens. It's very difficult to fundraise for anything, yeah. just like you're saying. So yeah. make the short with another actor. There are so many amazing actors out there.
1: Yeah, I, I like your answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or just save the money. <laughs> I like,
1: yeah. Don't make this short. Just save the money for the feature. Like that's that's basically. How I had to raise the money for the alternate was, like, just getting whatever bits at a time I could get, you know? And if I didn't do that, if I didn't, like, start with, like, a nest egg of $20,000, I would have never gotten to my full budget, you know? So, I think that that's definitely a great advice. You know what also is really, really great and really, really exciting is that we have a new iTunes review. Yes. Oh, my God. People are coming out. Patreon supporters. iTunes reviews.
0: Nice emails. Is this, like, this is California skipping. Jones's work, I think.
1: I, I don't know. It must be. I mean, he's he's so not only did he take over the post that we were doing, he added another whole nother post. So we post more than we yeah. did before. Thanks to California Jones. So, but yeah, ever I ever since is he came
0: on board, we have more Patreon backers. We have more. I, I think it's him. I think there's something something going on in the universe. So thank you, yeah. California Jones.
1: Yeah, definitely. OK, here it is. It's about the journey and the destination. That's the title of the review. If you enjoy the journey and the destination, making movies as hard is for you. This aspirational and conversational podcast takes you on a journey into the lives of aspiring filmmakers at every level. It delves into the everyday struggles of every department from the production assistant all the way through the executive producer. It includes guests, guests from Pixar, Sundance Film Festival, and movies like Fruitvale Station, and even the director of Napoleon Dynamite. True. Whether you have produced 10 feature films are just fundraising for your first short film or just want to discover what it's like to make movies? This podcast has it all. And if you really love the content, be sure to check out the additional episodes on Patreon. Oh my god, this is amazing!
0: This is <laughs> like a commercial. Follow. This is so funny.
1: <laughs> Where you can follow funding. Where you can follow founding co-host Arpursell's mission to make his first film, which he accomplished. Oh. It's called The Alternate. Out now everywhere that you can listen to watch movies (laughs) making movies is hard but this podcast will inspire you to want to do it more every day this is from c-w-i-w-e-b which I think is someone that we know, I, Chris Weber, maybe. That's like my guess. Is that I don't know who that is.
0: Someone you know? I don't know this person.
1: Well, let me let me look it up. Let me look it up because I've I want, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Eric Weber. That was what I thought, but maybe it's not Eric Weber. Maybe it's just somebody so. new.
0: I think it's a stranger. Yeah.
1: I think you're right because yeah, I thought. I guess I got.
0: <laughs> got Eric I mean, a new friend, not a stranger. So sorry, a new friend, a new friend, a new
1: friend. A new friend. Well, thank you so much CWIW guess CWI web or CW web? No. I guess I'm try- trying to figure I think you just have to say it out CWIWEB. Thank you so much for all your support and 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 writing this amazing review which warmed both our hearts thoroughly yeah. and if you want to be like cwi web you can always send us uh give us our itunes review by going over to itunes it's a place the one place that you can review our show i think maybe you can also do it on spotify maybe maybe not i don't know but you can also leave us a co- question comment or suggestion to podcast at making is you can also check us out on facebook instagram and twitter at mmih podcast and youtube at making movies is hard podcast Make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and of course, their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Gatto for coming on the show. Thanks to listener Mark Pilvinsky for recommending Gatto to us. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Ryan Moot, for doing the editing. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. And I gotta add in thanks to Robert Jones for being our amazing unpaid intern and doing all our fantastic social media every week. Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week. it was a fake out. That
0: means it's coming um, back to haunt you in a few minutes.
1: It's going to be here. Um, be okay. All right.